Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I was given the opportunity to speak with Paul Heaton from Sintera, and we spoke about why he founded Sintera, along with his background before founding his own company. We discussed the relationship between cloud and security, and some of the challenges he has seen from the traditional on-prem model, and where he believes the industry is heading in this space. If you want to find out a bit more about Paul's journey and experience, then please keep on listening. Welcome, Paul. Now, Paul, we'd like to introduce our guests and to our listeners and provide a way of creating context by exploring their background and journey in the security industry. So can you walk us through your career to date from where your interest started in the security industry up until now? Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, late 90s. Uh, I was actually working for IBM at the time uh, inside IBM Networking. Uh, with IBM winning several large outsourcing contracts, we started opening up our networks, particularly our internal IBM networks to remote access staff. And that's where I was involved in. Out of uh, the networking team came a core security team. So as we started opening up networks, we were looking at obviously now securing them. And we started to put technology in place such as remote access systems um, inside those networks to really tie down to the connectivity. And from that developed operation centers and security technology teams inside IBM. And that progressed with the advancement of security and we saw the banks starting to adopt security, and I was involved in very large-scale security projects within you know, the large banking sector to look at that securing of the internal and external networks. Um, there was a large, um, I think it was Code Red a long time ago, that's how many years ago it was, in one of the large banks which we were involved in, and that would have been one of the largest IPS deployments in the Southern Hemisphere at the time. So security evolved in IBM for a number of years, um, as I said, um, building and managing security operation centers and large technology teams. And then moving to the, the security portfolio inside IBM ANZ and managing their security portfolio for a number of years. I then moved out of IBM and uh, went and worked for Telstra. And inside Telstra, I had a great opportunity there to really focus at the start in the consulting business in security, providing services to, once again, the financial sector, airlines, and places like that. But there was a great opportunity inside Telstra to start to focus on the, on the government market, where Telstra was um, um, obviously very keen to win some large contracts. So I embarked on um, a very large project in there, which I, I managed, and we ended up uh, building a whole lot of security operation centers, uh, security um, facilities for support staff, uh, about three data centers, and some very large infrastructure, such as the uh, secure internet gateways, which uh, then Telstra leveraged to win several large of their contracts based out of Canberra. And that was a multi-year project and was uh, very rewarding and um, very encompassing across um, a whole lot of security technologies and services. And then behind that involved looking at obviously cloud technologies and securing cloud, particularly that higher level of security around that protected and higher data classification. And I worked on that project for a number of years inside uh, Telstra. And then after a while, the project was completed and we won several large contracts, which was fantastic. Um, and from there, I um, springboarded into a uh, consultancy firm called Mandiant. Now, Mandiant was a, a boutique cybersecurity firm, if you have not heard of it. Um, Based out of the US, expand their footprint um, globally. And I was looking at, um, I managed a team out of uh, ANZ. Um, and the consultancy group was really looking at strategic consulting and really looked at uh, advancing the maturity of uh, large organizations, um, such as banks, you know, airlines, uh, once again, the larger end of town. So we basically had a small team which flew around with engagements, 
um, really looked at where the companies were today um, and using their uh, threat intel, understanding who was you know, their main threats, and then basically putting plans together to evolve those companies to a much mature, much more mature state of cybersecurity and putting those plans in place to help those CISOs execute that plan. And then um, we'd come back periodically and assist them and check and make sure that they were travelling to those uh, roadmaps so they achieved their goals of uh, maturing their cyber capabilities to where they really should be in the world compared to you know, their competitors in there and people like that to ensure that they were meeting those industry benchmarks and even higher to ensure they were in the right place so that you know, the current threats they were looking at, they knew about them and they will deal with them and really really looking at that side of maturity of those organisations. Now, that was for a number of years, and, and from there, my, my true love was backing in those gateways. So I had the opportunity with some friends and colleagues I previously worked with to look at starting a, a cybersecurity company. And we really looked at back at that market, that gateway market where I spent you know almost eight years on inside Telstra. And we saw a unique opportunity where all these gateways, so to speak, which are basically large infrastructure consisting of a series of technologies that are defined and prescribed by Australian Signals Directorate um, inside uh, large data centres servicing, obviously, the government departments. And these gateways are are mandatory for government departments to use, particularly when using classified data. All the uh, incumbent providers were hardware-based, and we looked at that technology and thought there must be a better way. We've seen cloud adoption at an accelerated rate. We've seen a burst of services available through the public cloud. uh, And we looked at can we adopt these traditional thinking gateway technologies and services directly into the cloud. And that had been done before. And so we embarked on a, a very long mission and uh, through a whole lot of test and dev and hard work, we actually achieved what we went out to do and that was completely move a, a government uh, gateway uh, into the public cloud and then start offering that as a service model. And that was a very unique unique proposition uh, at, the, at, at the time and still is. We are the only ones to achieve that and we are still the only company with a full um, public cloud-based gateway that meets the government's uh, mandated security requirements to process that higher classified data. So I know you founded Sintera quite recently. Do you think your time at Telstra, you said you're obviously working amongst that for about eight years in the secure internet gateways, uh, Was that did that inspire the idea for creating Sintera and because your love for it and your passion about it and you can see the real change that you guys were making and then having that unique spin on it in terms of the government standards, is that sort of what sparked the whole idea for Sintera? Yeah, it was. Uh, we definitely saw a need for these gateways um, in that market and actually we see that the requirement for these gateways um, into the commercial space as well. And we saw that these gateways cost many, many tens and tens and tens of millions to build. They were really the domain of the large providers. And they were expensive. So the government was paying a lot of money for these. Uh, and of course, they were hardware-based. It took a, a long time to build, a long time to get the certification processes, and an enormous amount of staff to support these. So I'm really talking about, to me, looking back now, it's an old-school um, solution outsourcing type model where they build large amounts of infrastructure and then basically become a, a services model on top, top of that. And it was very expensive, um, and ex- very expensive to maintain. And it didn't meet the, the nimble, fast, agile requirements we see today. But back then, we were cutting edge. We were virtualizing, where a lot of other providers were not. They were literally going down you know, pure player hardware basis and expand their footprint to these data centers, which the you know, data center people obviously enjoyed. So we went down the path with Telstra of a semi-virtualization uh, type scenario, and it worked very well. Uh, it was a fantastic service. They won contracts on it. It was cutting edge at the time. And I worked with some brilliant people and some brilliant minds, particularly that security space and architecture space, 
to create these gateways for Telstra. Mm-hmm. But lingering in the back of my mind was always, you know, wow, these are expensive. Wow, these are the domain or these large providers who have deep pockets because the investment's huge. And if the investment's huge, therefore, to recoup the services, they're quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Always, um, you know, toy to me, there must be a better way. And that's why we moved into that public cloud using all that fantastic cloud-enabled services for compute and storage and processing, things like that. Mm-hmm. But Telstra really were the enabler for it. They were mm-hmm. forward-thinking with their gateways. We just took the idea and expanded and brought it into the most recent models, which is that cloud-based modelling. So you spoke about time before. You said it took a long time in terms of the initial setup and also the certification process. How much time are we talking here? Are we talking 12, 18 months or...? We are plus. So uh, yeah. in, that, in that project, um, because it's back in the, the physical world, um, mm-hmm. I also had to build the facility. So I had to identify a correct facility as in bricks and mortar building. We had to retrofit the building to meet the, the correct standards that government requires. That include you know, the cabling, that include the walls, the meshing, the Faraday caging, the mm-hmm. doors. Everything had to be done as per the Then we had to build the technology in the correct data centers that met also the same requirements. And then the people had to go in the buildings and then the services build and the computer. So it was a very long process. Um, mm-hmm. It took probably well over three years to, to build, wow. um, a lot more than three years, I'd say. And then the data center builds along the way as well. So from from we build a data center basically from scratch to, to service uh, the particular gateway we built and then expanded into three more data centers. So it was a long build um, mm-hmm. process and a constant iteration to make sure those services could meet the and scale out to where um, Telstra was heading with their contract. So that was a particular challenge because data centers have limited space. So as you win larger contracts and you, know, you start basing more services on that hardware technology, their data center footprint was expanding, expanding at such a rate where we had to go and move into um, additional data centers. And that's where a lot of time comes in and effort and cost is that mm-hmm. expanding footprint, which obviously Centera is in our cloud alternative, embraces the cloud model and uh, obviously we don't have an issue with that footprint per se. Okay, so let, let's talk about the physical world that you mentioned before. Let's. I want to get your opinion on how do you see the relationship between the between cloud and security and what are the changes that you've seen from the traditional on-prem model and where do you think we're heading in this space? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey um, we've, you know, I've seen through you know, over 20 years. And to me, we've, we've covered a lot of the bases in the past. Uh, we've just got to look, use some of the proven methodology as we adopt the cloud even more. And the journey started a long time ago when everything was on-prem, absolutely everything was on-prem in mm-hmm. organizations' own facilities, own data centers. Then we saw yep. a rash of external data centers come up. Um, we've seen some big name players into the market in Australia. And we saw people moving their equipment out into uh, provided data centers. And that was a bit of a mind change for people. Hang on, it's not inside my building. Hang on, it's not inside my data center. And they relinquished control with, with their technology, still owning it into the third parties. That was a bit of a mind play on people. And we got past that. And then we started moving on towards, well, hang on, now my data, my computer's sitting in someone else's data center. How about I just move and just lease additional technology in that same data center? So we started seeing workloads move on to third-party uh, technologies within third-party data centers. And that was a bit of a change again for people. We saw that, how we handle it, how we handle networking to it, to and from those areas, who has access to it. So we've seen a, a gradual change over multiple years, slowly moving this compute outside of our workloads, outside our perimeter. And now we're seeing the public cloud cloud where we truly are moving those applications completely into a third party. I've seen security change a lot. We've gone from a private cloud scenario where we're truly just extending our networks out into these private data centers and out into this privately owned technology. Till we start seeing, as, it, as we rise up that stack and we start seeing applications move out to third parties, our boundaries moving out. And that's where the change has been on shared compute, um, moving our boundaries out into a common infrastructure. And that's been the big challenge for security, is to understand that now our boundaries follow our data. 
and that data can now be on public clouds um, and third-party technologies even more. So the securities had to adapt to that. Our policies have changed to adapt to that, and our thinking has moved to understand that now, I'm still responsible for my data even though it resides in a third-party data centre, third-party mm-hmm. technology, or even, obviously, nowadays, which has been around for a while, the public cloud. So securities mm-hmm. had to adopt, but we've, we've done it quite well. We've understood our policies are robust for on-prem, we just don't extend those robust policies out and take into consideration new controls to meet the new threat which the public cloud brings with it. So there's a lot of there's a lot of talk online that I that I see just on my own social media feeds and things I, I do research online. There's still a lot of people arcing up about the utilization of public cloud, but what are some of the risks and opportunities does this new paradigm actually offer? Because I've seen people talk about no, you shouldn't do that, or you should do a hybrid or Oh, absolutely! You should move everything. I just want to get your opinion because I still, I still believe there's a lot of people that feel apprehensive because we are moving into a different paradigm shift. So I'm keen to understand what your thoughts are around that. Cloud brings a lot of benefits with it, security perspective. Um, examples: patching. We automate all that patching. In the past, that's always that's always painful. It's a really low end security control, which we all know we have to do, but it's mm-hmm. always a pain point. Uh, when I was doing a lot of consulting for Mandiant, we'd find out many customers just it was just too hard basket. Even the providers of services, patching was always an issue. Um, updates, um, security patches, um, OS updates, they're always an issue. In the cloud, um, that's automated for us. So that brings us to a level where it makes a compliance a lot easier. We can patch very quickly and then we can start moving on and look at other security issues and concentrating where we should be. Cloud enables us, as long as we contain know where our data is and we follow our corporate policies when it comes to um, securing our data, we can really do the same thing we used to on-prem. Almost containerize it if need be, and really put the controls in place to understand where your data is or make sure it's safeguarded by that cloud provider. For Sintero, who works in a higher level of security around that higher protected type data classification for governments and, and corporations, we mm-hmm. do put our, our controls in place to ensure that, that we know where the data is at all times and that there's no data leakages. And that's the big challenge is the cloud is, public clouds by nature, open to the internet. So any kind of misconfiguration uh, can actually result in large-scale data leakages, which we've seen in the past. Mm. We've got to make sure that our data is secure when it's inside these public clouds. And that's 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 in obviously in three different ways. That's obviously at rest in play and in motion, just like we do traditionally. Make sure that everything's encrypted where we can, that we're protected where it lays. When we do access it, we know who's accessing it. So maintain those levels, levels of security which you do on-prem out into the public cloud because it's your data and you are responsible for it. We don't just outsource or push our risk out to that third party. Our corporate owners and our government owners, they own the data and they are responsible for it. So we've got to make sure that data is secure in such a way that that meets their corporate security uh, requirements and policies. Do you think it's more of like a behavioural change? And I say this because, like you said, you've just sort of walked through the last 20 or so years of the change. Do you think people over time, this will just be the thing, people won't really challenge it much, but then we'll be on to something else then? I agree. Absolutely agree. Uh, the way, way the technology is moving inside the cloud, we have access to a whole lot of new technologies which we never had before. It be machine learning, it'll be AI, uh, enables us to use that technology in a way uh, which we haven't had before and the compute and the power and the storage behind it. Mm-hmm. Cloud will become and is just part of the fabric of what everyone deals with in a corporate life in both your know, architecture, security, networking. It is now just part of corporate life. It's not, uh, wow, let me move it to the cloud. Wow, mm-hmm. it's in the cloud. It becomes mm-hmm. part of the fabric that you use, the technology at your disposal. Cloud is just just a, a, another mechanism to of applications and, and so on to sit. I wouldn't. I don't see a day we'll go back to where we just have to look at. Oh my goodness, what hardware do I need for this? Oh my goodness, what network do I plug it into? 
Mm. That thinking's behind. Cloud mm. has been around for a while. If you talk to the, the newer people in the industry, in architecture particularly, um, their cloud containerization, adopting the right cloud depending on its nuances between different public clouds, it's just at forefront of mind. It's a tool that is used every day, and it should be. The enablement and speed in which you can enable and, and uh, bring on additional services and grow those services just can't be met with old school thinking. And the networks to the clouds are now no latency issues. So that's been taken off it. So we're about to see what I call most version 3.0 of our IT infrastructure and IT services. We'll see an acceleration of applications being built on these large end public cloud platforms with you know, scale computing, the storage, the memory. And now with the fantastic tools of machine learning and AI being tapped into, you can really start extrapolating out that data and looking for threats um, in an automated type manner. And that's where the, the goal is, I believe, is to start automating using these fantastic cloud tools we've now got it available to us in a way that really brings security um, more under a robust, robust control measure. Um, understanding threats, understanding patterns, understanding where my data is and where it's going, who's accessing me in a fast way that meets today's threats. I know you've got a pretty good lay of the land in terms of compliance and risk assessments for this space. So measures like IRAP and the adoption of CCSL, et cetera, et cetera. But how important are these for businesses, not just government departments? It's hypercritical. Um, you know, we can build these technologies today and we set the rules and we set our procedures in place and we tick all the boxes. You know what happens tomorrow? The threat landscape changes, compliance yes. changes, regulatory um, issues or challenges change. We've got to keep the robust, got to keep you know, an eye on the prize, got to keep this ongoing compliance and governance over our technology or over, I should say, our applications and where our data resides. It's very important that today's secure may not be tomorrow's secure because obviously the ever-changing uh, threat landscape, um, changing ways our data gets accessed, and we've got to keep that up. So the ISM, which is based on a whole lot of different standards, um, is a high-tide benchmark, I believe. Um, we've got to maintain all these different standards to make sure that, and meet our compliance obligations, to make sure that we're continually looking at uh, compliance and governance to ensure that our data is always safe. Now, compliance and governance does these standards get updated periodically, but what changes frequently is that threat landscape. So looking at across the picture, looking at it's not good enough that we move our data up to these fantastic new available systems inside the public cloud, but we've got to make sure that they're always secure. Um, looking at um, I said once again, I talk about the threat landscape because I believe it changes quite frequently. We've got to make sure that our data is always secure no matter where it resides because once again, it's our data. The public cloud is like any other technology. We've got to make sure it's secure, secure based on today's threat, which is changing. So compliance, governance, being ever vigilant on um, who could be targeting my company, what's the motivation behind that company. And then if they are successful, how do we stop that exfil? How do we identify them as quick as we can? So that's a, an interesting, interesting dilemma in the cloud because how do we extend our reach of our systems up into the public cloud where my data may be residing? And that's a challenge for everybody, corporate and, um, and government. How do I get my information out of where my data resides, my log data, my alerting data, my event data, into some kind of common system to see the different vectors of attack and ways of defending against those attacks and identifying new attacks? Now, that's a big challenge today, and this technology speeding along to try and help that challenge. So obviously you mentioned ever-changing threat landscape, and I agree. 
But like, why do you think people seem to still be a little bit behind the eight ball? Because it's almost like, yes, a new regulation comes out. There's more compliance uh, that we need to adhere to. But then it always feels like people are like really disgruntled by that, that it's like, oh, well, now I've got more work to do and my to-do list is never ending. But what's your sort of advice on to how people can combat that? And the only reason why it comes out is to ultimately secure uh, what we're doing. Um, but it still feels that there's this, this negative connotation because there's a new thing that comes out all of the time. And I, I just, I, I see it online and I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on what you, what's the sort of mindset of why people are, are going about it in that way. There's a couple of reasons behind it, I believe. Um, look, security, cybersecurity, it's an expensive proposition. We've always strapped the cash in our industry. We always, I spoke earlier about working for Mandian. And one of the things we used to do is do a maturity uh, rating of companies. And I can make a rating of a company of say it's three out of five. Mm-hmm. And they could spend, millions of dollars on the technology and services for, for cybersecurity and come back and their security rating has actually dropped. Now, how, why is that? It's because the threat landscape's changed and they're now having a new vector of attack, which we hadn't seen before. So we're going to spend more money to cover off those vectors mm-hmm. or understand new ways of attack and spending more money on, on you know, maybe people to identify those attacks or training. Now, compliance brings a bar up to a certain level, which we must be meeting. Now, that'll be the ISM for, for the government, which is also a great control for corporate, or that'll be you know, an ISO standard you know, or the NIST is once again a fantastic standard there. That brings a baseline to where we all should be. And I believe that baseline we should be all meeting because um, it's a level which gives us a, a certain amount of robustness and people can now say, can't say, I wasn't sure about that. Why should I be doing that? These standards bring us to a, almost a starting spot, I believe. That's why these compliance targets should be met. But then the ever-changing landscape goes above that. And that's where the big challenge lies is Compliance, yes, it's a must. They've been the financial sectors, the government sector, wherever there's a, a, a compliance standard, they're there for a reason. They're there because they set that minimum baseline if you're going to transact or play inside those industries. It's the above that. So compliance gets us to a level. Obviously, we all know the old adage, just because I'm compliant doesn't mean I'm secure. So it's above the standard we should be reaching. And what we've got to do is, of course, the threat landscape now is it's, it's so, there's a lot of bad things going on out in the world in all different areas. You know, it's a whole global play now. Uh, the bad guys are using clouds. They're, they're targeting ways which we've never seen before. So that comes back to me always, that threat intelligence, understanding who would be looking at my organisation, why would they be looking at it, what are their tools, tactics and procedures. So we don't just build walls anymore hoping people don't get over those walls. Of course, they're, they're going under them and around them. We've got to look at where or who is it, who would be interested in my data, my organisation, and, and try and build our technology in response in our services to that threat we see. So we can't just lie there in the dark hoping no one creeps into our you know, secure repositories. We've got to make sure if they're going to come through the windows, it's secure. If their latest tactic is, I don't know, bulldozer to the wall, we've got countermeasures in place. It's spending our, our, our finite cyber dollars in the mm. most appropriate way at that time. We can't read too much into the future, but we do have enough intelligence now from a whole lot of fantastic sources available, both um, you know, ones that are given out for, for nothing to highly paid ones. Um, and we should be looking at a cross-spectrum of intelligence, not just one source, obviously. And then really making our budgetary discussions, um, so decisions uh, around that those threat vectors and what we see is who will be targeting us. But regulatory, yes, to me, baseline, that's where we all should be. We should not be fighting that or dismissing that. Um, those standards have evolved over a number of years. So they are quite robust. And they're like almost, you know, they're the, the good behaviours. And we should be meeting those good behaviour levels, you know, mm-hmm. the hygiene for our compliance, hygiene for our patching, the minimum technologies in place, you know, the our people being checked, things like that. That's just standard to me, hygiene, every security person should just be following. That's the 
the normal tide mark. It's above that where we go, depending on where that threat landscape is, is, is pushing us, and obviously our budgetary uh, challenges there as well. So you mentioned baseline. So one of the things I'm just super curious about is how many companies out there in Australia do you believe aren't even hitting the baseline when it comes to security? A lot. So I've had the privilege of looking at being basically involved in outsourcing the last you know, 20 odd years. I've had the uh, good fortune of looking at a whole lot of technologies across the globe in varying industries, and they're all challenged. If you've got you know your your data sitting in uh, multiple public clouds, a couple of private clouds, on-prem across multiple regions, mm-hmm. my goodness, it is. And put in the mix, um, varying suppliers. Let it be a, a network supplier, a technology, a security technology supplier, an MSSP who's doing your monitoring of your alerts. It's a real challenge because. A lot of these people who are responsible for our technologies, maybe the contract wasn't written in such a way where they mandated to keep up certain levels of security, or they were okay at the time the contracts were written. As we spoke earlier, threats evolve, and now maybe that contract's almost obsolete, but it's got multiple years to run, and it's very hard mm-hmm. to change. So it's very, very hard to maintain that across organisations. It's a challenge, but it's a challenge we should be always looking at and always trying to meet because... What we're trying to do is get rid of a whole lot of base level threats and they're compliant to those, to those, and they're the low level threats which we're trying to mitigate. So we should be meeting those levels of compliance, but it is a serious challenge and it's, it's ongoing vigilance and that's the hard thing. You know, we need to be vigilant on all our supply chain and the breadth of wherever our data is to ensure we meet those minimum compliance standards and keep bang on to our suppliers that they must meet it. Um, to me, once again, I keep saying, that's the minimum standard we all should be meeting and we should be tr- all trying to attain that or have a plan in place to attain those uh, standards. I think most organisations have well and truly come around to what I think of as cloud 1.0, as you've just mentioned um, previously, and the collaborative tools and the core platforms that pop to mind, like Office Suites and Storage, et cetera. And I see the development of platforms like yours mimicking infrastructure, sort of like the old infrastructure as a service lexicon, as a 2.0 cloud. How can businesses lean in and still make sure they don't get burnt? Um, What's, what's fantastic about the cloud is you can put your toe in the water. So the idea here is that that you know, test dev type scenario where, you know, you're not sure what's going on. We can cherry pick the projects, you know, from multiple departments and start moving directly, start building it in the cloud from scratch. Thinking about that security in the cloud from the very start, not just lifting and shifting. We see a lot of organizations lifting their technology and their servers and just placing them in the public cloud and saying, I've got no cost saving here. This is really hard. I've got no resources. We've got to start thinking about it. You know, it's an old term again. <laughs> cloud native, uh, building these applications directly in the cloud from, from day one and thinking about that architecture and application level from day one inside those clouds. Adopting the cloud technologies and services from day one, not just moving up as an afterthought to the cloud. And you can pick these up with small applications or third parties start building them inside these clouds and start offering them back to organizations. So the beauty of the cloud is it doesn't cost much, right? You can move your applications or build an application in the cloud for very little, with very little risk as long as the controls are in place. And you can always do this dev environment inside these clouds and start building applications and, and you know, data repositories and ways of you know, extrapolating data out and presenting to customers in different ways. You can do that independent of any technology investment required as they used to do on-prem. So that's where I see companies moving quicker and quicker to the cloud is by not thinking about um, you know, what underlying technology is, more thinking about you know, the service like to provide and then moving directly to the cloud and then just taking advantage of those cloud services from, from day one but obviously making sure it's secure. Another old adage, um, you know, we've seen a lot, is you know, secure by design, and really making sure it's done from the start inside that public cloud and understanding if it's up there, 
we're going to have to protect it and understanding who's accessing it and when they're accessing it. But if we do that from the start and we think about those controls, cloud adoption should just be a natural uh, progression for these companies. Okay, Paul, really quick. What are three top things executives who are apprehensive at moving to public cloud? What can you list off the top of your head that they can take away after this interview today? Public cloud can be just as secure as your on-prem technology and services. The public cloud providers have embraced you know, cybersecurity. They allow people to build on top of their services. So I believe those clouds and the services within those clouds, like Centera's, are probably actually more secure than your on-prem due to, like I said earlier, there's the, the patching, the updating, and the ability to turn services on at peak workloads when we see certain events happen. Cloud, the public cloud particularly, is robust, one. It is secure, and building secure applications on top of that stack just shows that we can actually embrace the cloud technologies, embrace cloud services in a secure manner that allows the businesses or enables those businesses to grow further and develop new services and better service both the citizens and their customers. Well, Paul, I think you nailed it. It's been an amazing chat. If people are interested to have a chat with you because they loved all the information and knowledge that they got out of this interview, how can people get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, well, obviously, got the Cintera.net. You can reach out there. Um, we also have, obviously, myself, we have people in Sydney and Canberra and other capital cities. Uh, reach out to me directly via LinkedIn, uh, once again, via website. Or if you see me around at various conferences, um, just come and say hello. Um, always can talk to people. I always like talking about uh, organizations and their journeys, particularly around cybersecurity. I said every organization is different. Everyone's got a different threat vector. And uh, that landscape we spoke about earlier, threat landscape is changing. So the more collaboration we've got, me talking to you and you talking to me, grows our, our cyber knowledge. Well, Paul, I really do appreciate you taking a chat with me and I'll learn a few things myself and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.